So Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, is where we are at. It's good to have everybody here today. We did have a first service at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, they were not as in a good a mood as you are, but uh, anyway, it still did happen. So it's kind of good to be back in that normal rhythm and uh, still a couple of big events going on this summer, but glad you're here today. What's interesting about today's story in Mark chapter 10 is that this is the last story that Mark will tell before he gets into the events of Holy Week. Now, when we celebrate Easter, which is the celebration of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, we, that whole week leading up to that is what we call Holy Week. Okay, So in, in Holy Week, it, it's, it's the things prior to Jesus being arrested, being put on trial, being convicted, and being executed on the cross, but then ultimately resurrecting. The story we're going to look at today in Mark's timeline, in Mark's gospel, is the last story before the final week of Jesus' life before he's executed. Okay? So while you're looking for Mark chapter 10 in your Bible, I'm going to put a couple of other verses up on the screen. We're going to back up about 950 years in the timeline of the Bible and get a running jump. I want you to see something that happened in the Old Testament that's very pertinent to the conversation, to the story that we have today. And I'm going to go to one of the most famous individuals in all of Scripture, King David, who, remember, God plucked him out of a sheep's pasture, anointed him to be a king over Israel, and David was always so grateful for that. David made his mistakes. David had his faults. But the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart because he remembered that God chose him. God anointed him to be the king of Israel. And so when David had, had united a divided nation and he had built a great army, really he had taken them to what we would call superpower status. And he, he brought Israel to great heights. And so... Um, he was living in a really nice, plush palace, sleeping in a nice, comfortable bed. The Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, their, their representation of God's presence, it was in a tent. And so at the height of David's success and so on and so forth, he goes to the prophet and he says, listen, I want to build a temple where God's presence can rest, something greater than a tabernacle. The tabernacle was just a tent. And so without even thinking about it, the prophet says... Do all that's within your heart, God's with you. And so David, like, okay, let's go. Well, that night when the prophet is trying to sleep, God comes and speaks to him and says, whoa, 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 Nathan, you need to slow your roll because it's not actually David that I want to build the temple. It's actually his son, Solomon. Just, just a sidebar, kind of an interesting leadership concept there. Some people are built to be fighters in a good way. There are things to be fought for. There are sometimes messes to be cleaned up. Sometimes there are things that have to be fought through, principles to be stood for. Sometimes unhealthy cultures need to be broken. So some people are fighters, and then some people are builders and fixers and menders. And, and that's how this would work out. David was the fighter. David would fix Israel, but God's like, little, little, but, but, but you're not necessarily going to be the builder. I've got that for your son, Solomon. And so when Nathan comes back the next day, I mean, he had told David, go do all that's within your heart for God is with you. But the next day he comes back, he's like, um, hey, bad news. God said you can't build the temple, but he did have some good news for you. And so I want to read a couple of those verses which are found in that good news. It's in, you don't need to turn there. I want you to mark 10, but 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'll put these up on the screen. 
And it's a long passage. You can read all that God speaks through Nathan to David. The verse 11 says, Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you. Like, David, I know you want to build a temple for God. I know you want to build a house for God, but we're going to do this differently. God is going to build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and you're buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your ancestors, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. That's actually my phone. (laughs) Would you get that? (laughs) It's embarrassing. Just turn it off like I don't even know. Hey, thanks for coming today. We'll see you next Sunday, right? Like, how do you recover from... The first time I heard it ding, I go, "Uh uh-oh. Verse 16. Still to David. (laughs) It's never happened. 25 years of ministry. It's never been my phone. It is now. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Read that again. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That, my friends, is one of the strongest, most declarative prophecies about a Messiah that we have in all the Bible. That's what God is promising there. There will be one that will reign and rule forever, David, and he's a descendant of yours. God promised to David that you will have a descendant someday that will rule forever. Now, I want to show you one more verse. It's the very first verse of the New Testament. Not necessarily chronologically, because Matthew didn't write his gospel first. But if you were to open up and read the first verse of the New Testament, this is what you would read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generations of Jesus Christ. His lineage. The son of David. The son of Abraham. So 17 times in the New Testament, we see this reference, son of David. Son of David, son of David. And that's referring to the prophecy that we just read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where God told David there will be a descendant of yours that will reign and rule forever. 17 times in the New Testament we see this prophecy. It's called a messianic title. When you see son of David, they mean that this is the Messiah that God promised through Nathan to David. If that makes sense, say, oh yeah. So, Let's go back to Mark's gospel, chapter 10, on this journey with Jesus. And if you're looking at Mark 10, verse 1, verse 17, and verse 32 are traveling verses. They talk about Jesus moving. Verse 1, like Jesus left. Remember, several weeks ago, he was on the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus was was transfigured into a divine being. And Peter, James, and John were there. And they saw it, and they were like, oh, this is awesome. Right? And when Jesus comes off, of Mount Transfiguration, Luke, Luke's gospel says he resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. He resolutely set his face for the cross where he would die and shed his blood and pay a sacrifice for all who had placed their faith in him. Jesus is on a different mission when he comes off that Mount Transfiguration. And we're right in the middle of that. 
Matter of fact, next week we start the events of Holy Week in Mark's timeline of the gospel. So these are traveling verses. Jesus left. Jesus was on his way. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem, and it coincides with the annual celebration of Passover, which is their big holiday. Like if you were to ask, what's the biggest holiday in America? Most people say Christmas. Like it's just huge. Okay. Well, that was Passover for them. It was just the biggest holiday for the Jewish people. And people would every year travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And maybe they couldn't afford to go every year or go every few years or whatever. But it's important that a, a good Jewish person would go at least once in their lifetime. You would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And to do that, they would travel in caravans for safety. There's always safety in numbers, and so they would travel. And so that's where we're at. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going for the cross that awaits him. Everybody else is going to celebrate the holiday of Passover. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they reached Jericho. We're not to Jerusalem yet, but they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. He drew a crowd wherever he went. By this point, he's done ministry for three, maybe three and a half years. And it says this, that a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Now, their journey has taken them from Capernaum all the way down. Now we're to Jericho, soon to go to Jerusalem. And you can see on the screen how they would travel. They would travel along that Jordan River Valley. They would just kind of follow that. Verse 46 tells us that they have reached Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho was a very pleasant climate. Um, the rumor is that it was kind of a retreat city for rich and wealthy people. Like the, the Roman royals loved the climate of Jerusalem, and so they would actually have second homes there or go and, and visit there. But if you'll notice on the map, it's also getting close to Jerusalem. And so it was a great place to stop, particularly if I was coming from the north, it'd be a great place to stop and maybe spend a day or two of rest before I would finish my journey to Jerusalem. And here's why you would want to stop and rest before you finish your journey to Jerusalem. Because over the next 20 miles, the elevation would change by almost 3,000 feet. Remember our parents walked to school? Both hill, uphill, both ways. Remember that? Like that's Jerusalem. Like it is just, they're literally going to have to climb 3,000 feet of elevation over the next 20 miles. So a lot of people would stop in Jericho, get stuff they need, rest for a couple of days, and then they would finish this journey on to Jerusalem. While he's leaving Jericho, headed towards Jerusalem, there's a crowd there and it says that a beggar, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus hollers out to him. Now, Let's talk about Bartimaeus' name for just a second. I want to just kind of scratch it, and then we'll come back to it in the end. In Jewish culture, when you see bar, B-A-R, it means son of. Like in the older translations, you might see Simon bar Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Same thing holds true here for Bartimaeus, okay? Now, it could also be like a junior or whatever. So his actual name could very well be Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, okay? Could be the name his mom gave him. It, it, it could be that, uh, that play on words in the Hebrew culture, son of Timaeus or, or whatever. What's interesting about the word Timaeus is it means honor. Now, we've all like, what does your name mean? It means idiot. You know, I, that's what Brent means. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like we, all of our names mean something, 
You know what I'm saying? And so it could be that Timaeus just means something just like anything else. But Timaeus actually means honor. So this could mean that Bartimaeus, his name could be son of honor. Or he could have been the son of somebody that was really, really important. I don't want to go too much into what his name means. But the fact that we do know his name, that's important. And I'll show you that here in in just a moment. So Jesus is leaving Jericho. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus is sitting beside the road. He's hoping to cash in on these caravans of people that are traveling to Jerusalem, hoping some of these wealthy people or or just some of these travelers will give him a shekel or two, you know, some money. This is what he does. He's panhandling. He's on the side of the road begging for money, all right? And so he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is nearby. You guys still with me? Okay, verse 47. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout. Jesus, son of David. We've seen that. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Somebody say amen. Amen. Son of David, have mercy on me. Our first takeaway from the story, because there's a lot we can learn from blind Bartimaeus and his encounter with Jesus, son of David, the first thing that, that we can learn is that Bartimaeus was persistent. Bartimaeus was persistent. Mark tells us in verse 36, he's very clear, that there was a large crowd following Jesus. Crowds are loud, crowds are messy, crowds are unruly. And it's not like this beggar could just say to a guy walking down the street, hey Jesus, you got a minute? Like, Jesus couldn't hear him in his normal voice. He had to get loud up above the crowd. There is a crowd that's pushing and shoving and trying to get to Jesus, and it's rowdy and it's unruly. And this blind Bartimaeus is desperate for mercy, for help, and for healing. So to shout above the noise of the crowd, the brother going to have what we call to make a ruckus. That's a Talala term, right? It's a ruckus. So he began to shout and shout and shout, so much so that it's kind of getting annoying. The only thing that I can give you a comparison to annoying is when the OU marching band plays Boomer Sooner over and over, like, oh, they got a first down, bam, 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 oh, oh, they didn't fumble the ball, Boomer Sooner, you know what I'm saying? Jesus, son of David! Jesus! Son of that, like he's having to holler above the crowd, and the crowd starts to tell him, dude, be quiet. But Bartimaeus was persistent. If you listen to the crowd, if you listen to the people around you, if you listen to life, if you listen to disappointment, if you listen to circumstances in life, it will want to silence your faith. It's going to want to take away your faith. It's going to try to silence you in your moment. But there is something inside of blind Bartimaeus that knew this was my time. This was my moment with Jesus. If Jesus really is near, if Jesus really is the son of David, if he is the Messiah, I don't care what you say. I don't care what the crowd says. If I listen to the crowd and I give up, I'm going to miss my moment. And by the way, most time in the Bible, the crowd is wrong. There was this persistence inside of Bartimaeus 
that said, I don't want to miss my moment with Jesus because he is the only one that can fix what I'm going through. Blind Bartimaeus was persistent. Listen, don't let depression silence you. Don't let critics silence you. Don't let tough times silence you. Don't let what people say, don't let what anyone says silence your faith. And you and I need to find the same persistence that blind Bartimaeus had on that day on the road with Jesus. You keep crying out. You keep declaring, son of David, son of David, verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, dude, that's the BKV version, but it's not in the Bible. Dude, come here, cheer up. He's calling you. Look at verse 50. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat like with haste, jumped up, and he came to Jesus. Second thing from Bartimaeus, he was ready. Bartimaeus was ready. He's not only persistent in this moment, but he was ready. Hey, buddy. Jesus calling for you to come on, come on. And the dude wasted no time. He threw off his coat and he went running. When Jesus calls you, are you ready? If he says, you're up, the Bible tells us we need to be ready in season, out of season. Are, are, you, are you ready? Like, this is not a, Jesus, can you just come here? I'm really tired. Kind of like our kids do when they need a snack. Jesus, mom, Jesus, can you come here and fix me? This was Jesus saying, bring him to me. And he threw off his coat, he jumped up, and he was ready. Are you ready? I don't know what your situation looks like. I don't know what your crowd consists of. But when Jesus says go, we gotta go. You gotta throw off your coat and start running. He might ask you to build a relationship with the coworker that's going through a rough time. We gotta go. He might ask you to invest in your neighbor so that comes a time where you can invite them to the cross. He might ask you to financially give, to invest in the kingdom so a church like Hillspring can reach back and, and love on the next generation and point them to Jesus. And it's easy to talk about taking the coat off and running to Jesus, but we start talking about money. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Start talking about the awkwardness of inviting somebody to Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When Jesus calls for you, are you willing? Are you ready to push through your own crowd to find yourself at the feet of Jesus? I was talking with someone the other day. Great conversation. They're saying, man, I just want to spend the rest of my life doing the right things, running my business the right way, loving God, serving, investing in the kingdom. (laughs) He said, I just hope he don't ask me to move to Africa. And I said, let me tell you something. Here's how I view scripture. The Bible says if you'll delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. If God wants you to go to Africa, he's gonna put the desire in your heart to go to Africa. Like if God wants you to move to the mission field, that's all you're gonna think about. That's all you're gonna dream about. That's all you're gonna talk about. God's gonna ask you to be a youth pastor, you're gonna wanna do it. You're actually gonna like kids. Be a missionary, you're gonna want to do that. Listen, there are those disciplines in our life. Like we need to read our Bible. We need to be people of prayer. We do need to give. There are those spiritual disciplines that we need discipline in our life. God ain't gonna send you to Africa unless you wanna go to Africa. 
When Jesus calls your name, when Jesus has an assignment for you, when Jesus says, bring him here, you and I got to be ready to go, baby. Verse 51. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And I love this. He says, my rabbi. Not good rabbi, not teacher. Like rabbi means teacher. But he, says, he possesses that. He's like, my rabbi, my teacher. I want to see. Number three, Bartimaeus was specific. You guys still with me? Make sure you're, check on your neighbor. Make sure they're awake. Because we're going to get into some Greek words here in a minute. Bartimaeus was specific. Jesus asked him, what do you want? You got my attention. I stopped. What do you want? He could have said, how about a shekel or two for a blind poor man? He could have said, how about some food? How about something that makes my life more comfortable? How about something that makes my life easier? How about something to eat? Here's the deal. Anyone could do those things for blind Bartimaeus. Anyone could. But he was specific. Jesus, there's only one person that can make me see, and that's you. I want to see. I'm guilty of this. Like sometimes we're just praying, and we just kind of get in the rhythm of praying, and we just kind of pray generic prayers that we've always prayed our whole life. Like, Lord, just bless my family. Listen, I can bless your family. I can take your family to El Chico's today for lunch and feed them tacos, and tacos are a blessing, amen? Like, I can bless your family. So let's pray big, faith-specific prayers. Lord, just put your hands on my kids. Lord, just help me with my job. Lord, if you just give me... It, listen, it's great to pray for wisdom, but blind Bartimaeus knew what he needed, and he knew there's only one person that could fix his issues, and it's Jesus. Anybody can give him bread. Anybody could give him money, but only Jesus could give him his sight. He got straight to the point. Listen, Jesus, I don't want to waste any more of your time. Thanks for stopping, but I want to see. And you're the only person that can fix that. So blind Bartimaeus prayed with big, specific faith. Don't be afraid to pray big, specific prayers. God, I want my kids to grow up and not be crazy. That's specific I want my marriage to be great. I want my marriage to be fulfilling. I want it to be a great example to my kids. God, I want to financially be a blessing to the kingdom. Make me your funnel. But if you give it to me, I'll give it back to you. God, I want the addiction to go away. God, I want my friend to get saved. God, I'm praying for my lost family member. Pray big, specific prayers that only Jesus can do for you. Verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. So when we read this in the English language, we get the idea of, of what's going on, okay? And I, I know sometimes it gets boring to look at the Greek and the I, I understand all that, right? But I wanna show you something the original language is today that's a pretty cool little nugget. Like, I had fun. I also wear sweater vests, so it's fine. Right. Okay. Jesus said, go, for your faith has healed you. Some English translations, maybe you remember this more from, has made you whole. Okay. That word healed, that the New Living, that's what this is, New Living Translation, 
healed or other translations made whole. The word in the original language is sozo, S-O-Z-O, okay? Sozo appears in the New Testament 111 times. 93, so a bunch of those 111 times. It's 84% of the times it shows up in the New Testament. Sozo is translated saved. Let me show this to you in Scripture. Mark chapter 10, verse 24. This amazed them. We're in the same chapter. Like this was just a few verses ago. Jesus said again, dear children, it's hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We just covered this last week. The disciples were astounded. Then they asked, who in the world can be sozo? So sozo has two meanings, okay? 93 of the times it means saved. Three times in the New Testament, it means healed. So the, the first meaning is to save from peril or injury or disease like this, okay? Jesus said, go, your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has made you whole, healed him, okay? Three times in the New Testament, this is one of the three. 93 times in the New Testament, it's the other, like it has saved you from an eternity in hell. It has saved you from sin. It has saved you to an, an eternity in paradise with Jesus and, and God the Father, okay? I, I think that's cool. I think that's kind of a cool play on words because the New Testament also says that you and I, we are sozo by faith, Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been sozo through faith, Okay? So the fourth thing that I want you to see was that Bartimaeus was willing to follow. It's a crowdy, rowdy street. Blind Bartimaeus yells above the noise, Jesus, son of David! He's declaring, I believe you're the Messiah. The crowd tries to silence him. He only calls out louder. And Jesus finally calls for him, says, what can I do? He could have asked for money, could have asked for food. He said, Jesus, I know you're the only one that can fix this. I want to see. And Jesus heals him and he says, you know what? Your faith has made you sozo. You can go your own way. And the way he goes is not back to his home, not back to his parents, not back to a brother or sister that he hadn't seen in a long time, not even back to some girl he's trying to sweet talk. The way that he goes is with Jesus. Let me show this to you in verse 52. Jesus said to him, go for your faith has sozo, your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Remember that conversation we had about name, Bartimaeus, Bar means son of, remember all that, like bars in Hebrew is son of, Timaeus means honor, like person of honor, okay? There are 30 recorded miracles in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 30 recorded miracles where Jesus healed somebody. One of those was, was a good healing. It was a guy by the name of Lazarus who'd been dead for three days. <laughs> and Jesus sowed those to him for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, Lazarus, come out. Like, that's a healing. The, that leaves, so if there's 30, that leaves now 29 and only one of those 29 do we actually know the name of the person that Jesus healed. 
Now, we know one little girl, but we know her daddy's name because she was Jairus' daughter. We don't know her given name. So if 29 other miracles, only one of them, we know his name, and his name was Bartimaeus. Okay? Now, maybe that's no big deal. Maybe that's just, maybe it's just because they remembered it. Maybe it was because Bartimaeus was the son of somebody really, really, really important. Maybe his dad was a really big deal. Maybe his dad was like a city councilor or something, you know? <laughs> was that funnier than the phone ringing? No? But one of the dominant theories as to why Mark included Bartimaeus' name in this story was because Mark knew Bartimaeus. And so did many of the early church believers. This verse said, Jesus said, your faith has made you well, now go your way. And it says that the man instantly could see and he followed Jesus. Bartimaeus is different than the other 28 now that healings that we don't know their name. Bartimaeus is different because that day Jesus healed him and then he followed Jesus down the road and never looked back. That day was different. His name is included because most likely Peter, Mark, Paul, Barnabas, and all of the other early church leaders knew Bartimaeus because that day he followed Jesus right to Jerusalem. And he saw him crucified. And he gathered with the other Christians and he never left. It is thought that Bartimaeus became one of the pillars of the early church followers. That's why Mark included his name. is because many of the people who would read this, oh, that's where Bartimaeus came. That's Bartimaeus. I didn't know he was blind. Did you know Bartimaeus used to be a beggar? Holy Moses. In that moment, Jesus physically changed his life when he physically gave him sight. But Bartimaeus was spiritually changed that day too. It was a day he would never forget. I was blind, but now I see. I was a beggar, but baby, now I'm a believer. Bartimaeus was willing to follow Jesus for the rest of his days. He immediately could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. What road you walking? Are you following Jesus down the road? Do you have that sozo moment where Jesus made you whole? Do you have that moment where you were saved by grace through faith? Something where Jesus did something for you and he said, listen, your faith has made you whole. Go your own way, and you did. Maybe you didn't follow like you should have. Have you ever had that something changed in you that caused you to follow him? Maybe you're here today and you don't even know Jesus, son of David. Here's the gospel, as plain and simple as I can make. It goes all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Heavens and the earth, the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and Big Rock Candy Mountain. I mean, God did all that. He made Adam. He made Eve. And you know what? Adam and Eve did what you and I would have done. Like they had a momentary moment of temptation and they gave into it. 
And because they ate the fruit, sin, the curse of sin, then entered into the humanity equation. And therefore, all of their descendants, that's you and I, all of us are descendants of Adam and Eve, all of their descendants would fall under that curse of sin. God had a plan. Is that he would send his one and only begotten son, Jesus. See, Jesus was at the Father's right hand when all that was going on. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. They couldn't have church in the Old Testament until something died. There's something powerful in blood. There's life in blood. And God knew something to save all of humanity would have to be a perfect divine being. Jesus said, I'll go be that. And so he left the throne room. He, he was born a Virgin Mary. So yes, he was fully human, but he was also fully God, meaning he qualified to pay the sacrifices for you and I's sin. While you and I are all sinners, we're dead, stuck, frustrated in that sin. While we were dead in that sin, Jesus said, I'll go. And he let Roman soldiers nail him to a cross. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. They pierced his side and blood flowed. They put nails in his hand and blood flowed. That blood is a way that you and I can live and walk in relationship and forgiveness with our creator. The book of Romans says, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is the son of David, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God supernaturally raised him from the dead. Nobody called him out. Nobody said, Jesus, come forth. It was because he was God. He had the ability to raise from the dead himself. If you believe that he's the Messiah, if he's Lord, and if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God never intended for Christianity to be complicated. It requires faith. And you might not understand all of this, but you know right now there's something knocking on your heart's door saying you need to follow. You've had your sozo moment, you need to follow. So if you're here today and you know that you're not in right relationship with Jesus, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. What's important is you have a conversation with God. I want to simply lead you in a prayer, just you and God. And the prayer's not magical. These aren't, this isn't a chant. Oh, I hope I say the word. Listen, this prayer is the best way I know how to confess and believe like scripture calls us to. So I'm gonna ask, nobody moving around all across this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, you know today you're not in right relationship with God. I just wanna simply lead you in this prayer. We're gonna surrender your life to Jesus. You ready? Just pray this with me. Just pray this, dear heavenly father, I come to you today. I sure need you. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I don't want that anymore. Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life? Would you begin to change me? Save me? Make me a new person? I may not understand all of this, but I know I need you. I know I need to take that step of faith. So today, Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. 